0: Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God. and They're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. Uh, Before I get into our message this morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you now and we open your word and, Lord, we ask that you speak to us today. Lord, we know that uh, there is a thing that exists in our world that is called evil and, Lord, we want to understand how we can overcome evil with good. How can I resist evil? And so, Lord, I pray that you today would speak to us from your scriptures and uh, that we would be able to... uh, Leave this place um, knowing more about you and Lord, also being able to put into action things that Lord, you would like us to do and uh, that we continue to honor you with what we think, do, and say. And so, we pray in your name right now, Jesus, that you would lead us and guide us. I pray, speak to us now, amen. Nikki Gumbel said this He said, I was an atheist. And I found it very difficult to believe that there could be a God. Then I became a Christian. Obviously, I came to believe that there was a God. And then somebody said to me that there's a devil. And I thought, come on, it's hard enough to believe there's a God, let alone believe that there's a devil. <laughs> and I think part of the problem is before I've, I've had a false image of God. I had a kind of picture of God as an old white man with the flowing beard, sitting on clouds. And similarly, I think many people's image of the devil is kind of like, you know, the devil with horns, a tail, cloven hooves, a pitchfork, probably red, you know. And obviously both of these images of God and the devil are both not only unbelievable, but they're also unbiblical. What the Apostle Paul speaks about is spiritual forces of evil. And actually, some people find it easy to believe that there are these forces easier to believe in the devil than they do believe in God. William Peter Blatty, who wrote the book The Exorcist and then wrote the screenplay for the film The Exorcist, said this, As far as God goes, I'm a non-believer. But when it comes to the devil, well, that's something else. The devil keeps advertising the devil does a lot of commercials. Bruce Strether once went on the Alpha course, absolutely argumentative atheist lawyer and nothing convinced him. None of the talks convinced him. And then it came to this talk on how can I resist evil? And at the end, he came up to Nikki and said, I'm a lawyer and in my practice as a lawyer, I see so much evil. I've always believed in the power of evil. Now I realise that if there's a power of evil, it's only logical to believe in a power of good. And that night he became a Christian. So where does evil come from? The New Testament talks about a kind of triple alliance. The world, the flesh and the devil. The world, if you like, is the enemy around. The flesh is the enemy within and the devil is the enemy above. The world is, is all the kind of bad stuff that is around us, the world that has shut God out. The flesh is not the body, that there's nothing evil about the body, but it's the evil desires that come from within. And then there's, of course, the devil. And why should we believe in the existence of the devil? Well, first reason is that Jesus clearly believed in the existence of the devil. He taught us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. And he himself was tempted by the devil. And then down the ages, Christians have always believed in that. And some of you may have had this experience. Sometimes, particularly if you had a powerful experience of the Holy Spirit or or something where you've had a real faith experience you know, building moment, sometimes you suddenly find, oh, there seems to be all kinds of things coming against me, temptations that I wasn't aware of before and all these sorts of things. And so there's Scripture, the Bible, tradition, and then there's reason. How do you explain so much evil in the world? You only have to open the newspaper, look at the news. And these, these evil regimes, institutional torture and violence, mass murders, brutal rapes, the physical and sexual abuse of children and old people, where does this come from? Lieutenant General Romeo Dallaire was part of the UN peacekeeping force in Rwanda and he watched the genocide there in 1994 And because he had only a small number of officers, he was unable to stop it. After it, he wrote a book called Shake Hands with the Devil. He wrote this I know that there is a God because in Rwanda I shook hands with the devil. I've seen him, I've smelled him, I've touched him. I know the devil exists, and therefore I know that there's a God. There are two equal and opposite dangers in this area. One danger is to disbelieve, and the other is to have an unhealthy and excessive interest. You know, stuff like Ouija boards, tarot cards, horoscopes, palm reading, all that kind of stuff. Often people who are on a spiritual search do do this kind of thing. You know, and it's not the unforgivable sin, but all I would say to you is if you've been involved in that sort of thing, turn away repent of it, get rid of any books or videos or anything you've got to do with it because we're not supposed to have an unhealthy interest in that kind of thing. But what are the devil's tactics? He wants to destroy our lives. Jesus said this in John 10.10 that the thief he describes the devil as like a thief that wants to rob our lives. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. That is his ultimate aim. It's the opposite of the aim of Jesus for your life. If God, you know, and, and God loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. That's what God wants for your life fullness of life the devil well he wants the exact opposite he wants to destroy your life that's the path he wants to take you on and it's never obvious at the start where he's trying to take you let me use a really trivial and silly example there was a student who shared their flat with a guy whose mother was an amazing cook and his mother would regularly supply supply her son with with fantastic fruitcakes. And one time she'd given him this fruitcake, and he was then away for the weekend, and his flatmate had some friends over for the weekend. And they looked at this fruitcake, and they noticed that it wasn't totally rectangular. And they thought if they just trimmed off the edge, that would square it up. So they trimmed off one edge, but then they noticed that it made it slightly unbalanced the other way and so they trimmed off another edge and then it looked odd because two edges were cut off and two edges weren't so they cut off the other two edges as well but it still wasn't rectangular so they had to keep on cutting it and eventually it was down to about that size. And then they thought it wasn't really kind to their flatmate because, you know, to come back and see that, that, to see that would, be, would be very disappointing. And so they thought, better out of sight, out of mind, so they finished it off. As they explained to him afterwards, it was really an act of kindness. But the point is that they never intended to do that. They just intended to start with a very small thing. And when people take heroin, they don't realise where it may lead. When people start looking at internet porn, they don't realise what it will do to their neural pathways. And what the devil wants to do is take us on a path that leads ultimately to destruction. And very often he starts with doubt. There's nothing wrong with having doubts. In fact, doubt and faith are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. Two plus two equals four, no doubt about it. But you don't require faith to believe it. Love, there's always doubt, but it requires faith. All the important things in life require faith and therefore are open to doubt. The devil wants us to doubt our beliefs and believe our doubts. God wants us to doubt our doubts and believe our beliefs. And the way that temptation often starts is with doubt. So in the Garden of Eden, in the opening chapters of Genesis, we're told that in, in this expose, this is, this is a brilliant expose of how the, devil, how the evil works, um, how the devil comes in, in the form of a serpent. And his open gambit is, he says this, did God really say? And when the devil comes to Jesus in the wilderness, his open gambit is, if you are the son of God, in other words, if the devil can get you to doubt who you are, your identity, if you're a Christian, because if you're not a Christian, it doesn't really matter what you do, you know, it starts with doubt. And after doubt comes temptation. There's nothing wrong with being tempted. Everybody's tempted. You can't go through life without being tempted. You almost can't go through a supermarket checkout without being tempted. <laughs> Jesus was tempted by the devil. The devil came to him as the tempter. In fact, Jesus was tempted in every way, just like us, except he was without sin. And it's very important to make this distinction between temptation and sin. Because sometimes we have a thought that comes into our head, we think, oh, where did that come from? That's not sin. Only if we adopt it, is it sin. What the devil says to us is, "Oh, look at you know, look at you thinking like that. you've really messed up, haven't you? Now it doesn't matter what you do because you've already fallen. And then comes the deception. All sin is a form of deception, and the way we see this exposed in the opening chapter of Genesis is that the devil says, in the form of a serpent, what he says is, It won't do you any harm. He says, you will not surely die if you disobey God. And that's the way he works today. He says, look, it's not going to do you any harm. And then he says, actually, God doesn't love you. The reason God doesn't want you to do this is because he actually doesn't want you to have the best in life. And that's so opposite to the truth. The truth is that Jesus wants you to have life in all its fullness. God loves you. He wants the very best for you. The reason he says don't do stuff is because he doesn't want us to experience evil. He only wants us to experience good. And then he condemns us. One of the titles of the devil is the accuser. There's a big difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction means that we know exactly what we've done wrong and we can repent of it, turn away from it and receive forgiveness. Condemnation, we just feel really bad. We don't even know why we feel bad. And we're told there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. James says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James 4, 7 and 8. So what in this battle is your position? Well, the Apostle Paul puts it like this. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son he loves. Colossians 1:13. In other words, you were in the dominion of darkness, where in a sense the devil was in control. We were addicted to stuff. Our life was under the dominion of darkness. And through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, the moment you invite Jesus to come and live with you in your heart, He transfers you from that dominion to the kingdom of Jesus where Jesus is is in control and where there's total freedom. We experience God's love. And this is the kingdom of God and that's where you are. And that is the place of freedom and fullness of life. And that's what God wants for your life. You say, well, if that's happened, why do I still struggle with this stuff? Why do I still struggle with temptation? Why do I still struggle with evil forces? Let me use an analogy. In World War II, the decisive moment of World War II was D-Day. It occurred on the 6th of June, 1944. And essentially the war was won on that day. And you could say that's the equivalent of the moment of Jesus' death and resurrection. The moment that you invited Jesus to come into your heart, if you did that, that is the decisive moment. And that's the moment where victory is won. But the war didn't end then. There was a whole period of months of the mopping up operations until VE Day, victory in Europe, on 8th of May 1945. Nearly a year. And in a sense, we live between D Day and VE Day. The victory's been won but we're still in this period of the mopping up operations, which will only be complete when Jesus returns, when we meet him. Some people, when they encounter Christ, are set free from the whole lot of stuff almost instantaneously. But others, for others, things might be a a struggle, a much longer struggle, a continual struggle. Nikki tells this story. He says, I bike around London. I love biking, but I never wear a clerical collar. I'm an Anglican vicar, and in case you didn't know, but I don't wear my clerical collar the dog collar when I'm on my bike because I feel it would slow me up. I would have to stop at red lights. <laughs> Pedestrian crossings. Couldn't go on the pavement. It would just be such a nuisance. So one time I was biking down Oxford Street and I, I kind of... Bike a little bit towards the middle of the road, he says, particularly in Oxford Street, because there's all those people who are milling around and you never know when they're going to walk. Anyway, that's his excuse. So I was in the middle of the road, he says, and I didn't realize that there was a taxi behind me. He was clearly getting a little bit impatient. And suddenly he moved out, hooted, came right next to me and shouted at me, Move over! And something within me, I don't know, I don't think it was the Holy Spirit, he says, said, Right, I'm going to get him. So he biked after him as fast as he could and caught up with him in the traffic lights. And the cabbie shouted at him, "You're in the middle of the road. You should move over." So Nicky said, "What is your number?" Because he knows that they don't like their number being taken because they'll be reported and so on. And he went, "My number." And at that moment, the light changed to green and he drove off. So I thought, right. I really am going to get him. So I started biking after him and just thought, I'm going to learn the number on the back of his cab: 58815." And I could see that he was looking at me in his rearview mirror, and I caught up with him, and as I caught up with him, I heard him say, "Nicky, you should keep to the rules." I thought, "Did I hear that right?" Then he repeated, "Nicky, you should keep to the rules." And this time he got out his Alpha manual and waved it out the window like this. And so I went up to him and I said, have you done the Alpha course? He said, yes, yeah. so I became a Christian on Alpha two months ago. So he hadn't had much time for the fruit of the Spirit to emerge from his life, Nicky reckons. Oh, what's your name, he said. My name's Dean. Ah, oh, how nice to meet you. I'm so sorry, Nicky said. And at that moment, the passenger in the cab... Was looking totally mystified. <laughs> He'd expected us to have a fight. So he turned around and said, This guy runs the Alpha course. It's totally inspirational. It changed my life. So as I biked off, Nikki thought, I've got a long way to go. I'm in this process and it's not yet complete and it won't be complete until Jesus returns. And we're all in that boat, aren't we? We all have that moment where we are right there. It's not the Holy Spirit, is it, (laughs) (laughs) Faith? But there's something else that we're struggling with. We all have those moments. How do we defend ourselves? How do we fight this battle? Well, Paul writes that we need to be strong in the Lord. We want to put on the whole armour of God. Effectively, he says, look, get rid of that bad habits in your life and replace them with good habits. And I really recommend these habits to you. They're very simple. Here's the first one. They're found in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 to 18. He says, stay close to Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Put the belt of truth around your waist. What is truth? Well, truth is in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the truth. It's the opposite of hypocrisy. It's authenticity, integrity, openness in your life, focused on Jesus. Second, the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, keep your relationships right. Keep short accounts If you mess up, as we all do, just ask God to forgive you and get up quickly. Get your relationship with God back again and with the same with other people. If you fall out with someone, quickly deal with it. Ask for forgiveness. Get it sorted. And thirdly, he says, get involved in service with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In other words, don't just sit around doing nothing. It's pretty easy to sit around and do nothing, but don't sit around doing nothing. Get involved, serve, join a team. Get involved in a group in the community and serve there too. Be vitally involved in community and take the hope of the gospel with you. Get involved in active service. This afternoon, I'm leaving here and I'm taking our family to Oxley where there's a fun day in Oxley, a family fun day, put on for free with one of those COVID community grant things. And uh, we're playing with a concert band there at 1.30 for an hour or so. Um, you know, and I do the concert band because I want to be vitally involved in community. I want to serve my community and take the hope of the gospel with me. So if you have nothing to do, there's a free sausage sizzle and everything and, and a jumping castle as well, if you'd like that mat. Yep, yep, good, good. So yeah, you know, feel free to come out. And then, then trust God in difficult times. He says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. In other words, the devil is going to throw stuff at you. Doubts, fears, anxieties, lusts, all kinds of things will be thrown at you. So take the shield of faith. In other words, in the difficult times, keep on trusting. Don't give up your faith. And then win the battle of the mind. He says, put on the helmet of salvation. That salvation means freedom. The freedom which Jesus brings. All these temptations, they tend to start in the mind. It starts with a thought then it becomes an action, then it becomes a habit, then it becomes a destiny. And then know your Bible. Soak yourself in the Word of God. He says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I really encourage you to get to know this book, to read it daily if you can, you know, when Jesus was tempted, every time he replied with a verse from this, he really knew his Bible and he used it as a defence against attacks from the enemy. And then he says, keep praying. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Keep close to God through prayer. So that's defence. Defence. How do we attack? There's no piece of armour for the back. We're most vulnerable when we're running away. Paul says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, it's so exciting to be a Christian. I cannot tell you how amazing the life is that Jesus brings when he says, I came that you might have life in all its fullness. It's so amazing to be able to see people's lives transformed. I find it thrilling. I think of someone like Graham Seed. Graham Seed is a giant of a man. He must be six foot five and and he weighs 18 stone in the old money or 114 kegs in the new And he said, I spent most of my life in jail. I was a skinhead. I was a football hooligan. I was on the rave scene. I was charged with murder. I was searching for love all my life and I couldn't find it. My mother gave up on me when I was 21. She said, you are the son of Satan. This guy was totally in the dominion of darkness. She said, I was evil like my father who I'd never seen He used to rape and beat up my mum and he went to prison. She said, you're more evil than your dad and I don't want naught to do with you. You're dead as far as I'm concerned. Graham said, I grew up with my nana and my granddad. My nana was drinking and taking drugs all the time. I lived in the roughest part of Teesside. It's in England, of course. I didn't have hope. I didn't know what it was, but I was always trying to fill this hole inside me. Like so many people, this hole inside me with things, with drugs, alcohol, sex, violence. You know, drugs, alcohol, sex, and violence went round and round and round a vicious cycle prison and outside, prison and outside. And he ended up for several years living on a bench outside on the streets. Then eventually he fell into a coma, a six day coma, and it looked as if his life was over. His mother was summoned to the hospital by the authorities to sign the papers to switch the ventilating machine off that was keeping him breathing. His kidneys had failed. He was critically ill. He had septicemia, hypothermia and liver damage. And there were these guys who'd been speaking to him on the streets when he was living on the bench and they'd heard about the fact that he was dying. And they came to the hospital and asked whether they could pray. And before the mother switched the machine off to allow him to die, They prayed for him in the name of Jesus. And they prayed, as they prayed, he woke up and started breathing. And he was told that they'd prayed to Jesus and he said, who does Jesus want to know? Sorry, what what does Jesus want to know a scumbag like me for? But they invited him to an alpha course at their church and he attended and during the course he said, Jesus, if you're real, come into my life. And he held his hands out like this and the Holy Spirit filled him. And he fell to the floor and he just started weeping and he cried more than he'd ever cried in his life. He said, that day I was totally transformed and I had a desire to tell people about Jesus. And he went out in the streets He was very well known on the streets and he took with him every day eight copies of Why Jesus and he didn't return until he'd given eight copies to people and to pray the prayer in the back, inviting Jesus into their lives. Then he started to invite it back into the prisons. He said, I spent 10 years trying to get out of prison and now I was trying to get back in. And he went back into the prisons and he started running alpha courses in the prisons. He's now run over 112 alpha courses in prisons around the northeast of England. He met a lovely young person called Natasha. He described her as a dream come true. And their first son was born, 11 pounds, 2 ounces, 2 feet long. (laughs) The consultant held him up and said, Do you know, Graham, this isn't a baby, it's a toddler. He's written a book about his life called One One Step Beyond. He started a ministry. His name is Graham Seed and he started a ministry called Sowing Seeds. And it's had such an impact on thousands of people. Chris Andrews was a successful businessman from the northeast of England. He said, I was a boxer and we used to box in this gym and from time to time this tramp, that's how we describe the man, this tramp would walk into the gym and he was addicted to cider. He used to drink 28 pints of cider a day. We all laughed at him. And then this guy was totally changed. I met him and I saw what had happened. This was Graham Seed. And he said, what's happened to you? And Graham told him about Jesus. This man's life was totally transformed. He introduced me to all his family and they talked about how Jesus had changed their life. He's just one of the many, many people that Graham Seed has led to faith in Jesus. Now, why tell you a story as extreme as that? Well, it's because if Jesus can do it for Graham, he can do it for you and he can do it for me. Now, this is the amazing thing. He's transferred Graham from a path that was leading to destruction. Now is on a path that leads to life. He's taken him from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of his son, Jesus. You know, what John writes is that the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. In other words, the Holy Spirit who lives in you is far greater. We're not talking about two equal and opposite powers. We're not talking about the power of God against something infinitely smaller. That's what we're talking about. God is so much bigger. The amazing thing is you are a child of God. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. You can make a real difference. Just as Graham is making a real difference to the lives now of thousands of people, you can make a real difference to the lives of thousands of people. You can overcome evil with good. You can do like Graham, who put on his feet the gospel of peace, taking the good news of Jesus out to other people. You know, this is the most exciting thing to be involved in. You look at what other people have done in the past. You look at how Shaftesbury, in the name of Jesus, changed the whole social condition of England in the 19th century. You look at Wilberforce, how he led the campaign to abolish slavery. You look at Martin Luther King, how he broke down the division between black and white in America. Something still has a long way to go. Where's those people in Australia? Well, maybe it might start with one of us. You know, there's just examples of what you can do. And we're not supposed to just sit around and say, well, I'm not going to do anyone any harm. Your life can actually make a real difference. Your life has a purpose. You can leave a legacy of transformed lives. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In Jesus' name. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that indeed we have been given everything required by you to walk in victory, to overcome evil with good. And Lord, that's not just for our personal benefit, but Lord, it's for the benefit of others. Lord, you have given us a purpose. We can make a real difference in this world. We can leave a legacy of transformed lives. And so I pray that each one of us, whether we've been a Christian for a week or for a century, like some nearly have. Lord, that we will make a difference in the lives of those people we are in contact with, that we can sow seeds of the gospel. We can take the hope of the gospel with us wherever we go. So, Lord, I pray that we would open our minds and open our lives up to more, to more people, We'd open our lives up to serving more. Something in the community that we are passionate about or have an interest in, Lord, we can serve there. Be vitally involved in community and take you with us. Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name we would indeed see mighty, mighty works done of evil being overcome with good through the people that you have implanted your Holy Spirit into, Lord, your forces of good are so much greater than the forces of evil that exist in the world and in the flesh and the devil. Lord, give us that full life that you have promised as we seek you first. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.